There you go. Today, we are finishing our four-part series looking at this incredible sentence, The Word Became Flesh. And I really want to encourage you, as we close the series, please will you go to our website right now, or look in your Bibles, and turn to uh, Exodus chapter 33. If you turn in your Bibles to Exodus 33, or if you go to our website, simplygod.net, and you click on Sundays, uh, the passage, the outline is there for you. And it's so important that you do that. I'll say it every week because I want you to see what the Bible says, not what I say. But today we're finishing our series, four talks on this sentence, the word became flesh. And I've told you it's, a, it's quite a heavy teaching series. The text that we're working from is this, the word became flesh, dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as a, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we've spent four weeks unpacking that. The first week, we studied just two words, the word. What is, what is the word? And we saw that that is a person, a person who is eternal, who's lived forever, who is God, and yet distinct from God. And you can look at all these talks that are online for you. You can go refresh your minds. The second week, we looked at those two words, became flesh. What do you mean the word became flesh? What does that actually mean? Uh, was the word wearing a meat jacket or something like that? We unpacked it. We saw what it means. And then last week, we looked at that phrase, and dwelt amongst us. And we went through the Bible last week. We, we did a quick little biblical theology. Remember my awful picture? And what we saw was how God's heart is to live with us, because that's what love does. When you love someone, you live with them. Uh, and we looked at all of that. Now today, we are going to look at this. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So let me read our passage for us this morning, and then I'll pray. And we'll think about that sentence. So we're in today, we're in Exodus chapter 32, and we're going to be, not 32, 33. Exodus 33, and from verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, uh, so it's Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. You have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, Please show me your ways, that I may know you, in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. 
How shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Okay, let me pray. Father God, you are invisible. No one can see you and continue to live. Moses prayed this prayer, show me your glory. And so we're going to be as bold as to pray the same prayer. We're asking you this morning, God, show us your glory. If we can leave here this morning, and if we can get in our car and think today, I saw God's glory. That'll be enough for us. Will you do that for us, we pray. Amen. And I forgot to say, there's a number. Please text in any questions, any questions about anything. Um, and I'll do my best to answer it. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I bet you you have. Where you meet someone really good looking. Say it's a girl and you look at her and you go, oh my goodness, you know, uh, which planet did you fall from or, or you see a guy and you think, oh my goodness, that dude is handsome, you know. That's what I call good looking, you know. I'm sure you've had that experience. And then afterwards, for some reason or other, a couple of days, weeks later, I don't know, you meet their parent or parents. And you think to yourself, oh my goodness, how good looking is her mom? Or how handsome is his dad? Whatever, whatever. And you start, well, you say this. Ah, now I can see where you got your looks from. You know, or I can see where you got, you know, where I see where you got your build from. Or, you know, you, you see the child, and then you see the parents, you go, oh, that's where you got that. Or in my case, people look at my mum. She's passed on now. And they say, oh, that's where you got your ears from. You know, that's, uh, but anyway, poor mum, she, she wore long hair to hide them. But the point is, I'm sure you've had that experience. I don't know if you've seen a video going, you know, it's the World Cup. There's a video going around uh, uh, about Ronaldo. You, have you seen Ronaldo as a top soccer player? How, you know, where do you live if you don't know who Ronaldo is? But um, Ronaldo's son 
there's a viral video of his son. He's got cheese grater abs. You could grate cheese on his abs like his dad. And then he kicks a ball like his dad. You know, it's, and, and what we say in English, it's a chip off the old block. You know, he's just like his dad. You know, like father, like son. That's a common English phrase. Wow, like father, like son. Now, that is what this text is saying. What this text is saying is that when we see the son, glory of the son, we have seen his glory, the glory of the son, guess what? It's the glory of the father, full of grace and truth. When we look at Jesus, the Son, we then understand what the Father is like. Because the Son resembles the Father. No one has ever seen the Father. We can't see the Father because it will consume us. A day is coming when we will, but not yet. And more than that, as we're going to see, the Son doesn't just resemble the Father. The Son is an exact representation of the Father. To see the Son is to see the Father. And today we're going to see that. And I know what everyone's thinking. You say, well, Dwayne, that sucks. Because it's all very well for the disciples who wrote this to say, we've seen his glory, but we live in Perth. We live 2,000 years later. Which one of us has seen Jesus? And I can tell you right now, nobody. None of us have seen him. Ah, yes, but, but think with me. When it says we've seen his glory, it's not talking about his ears. So you don't need to see Jesus' ears. Because the Father is a spirit. He doesn't have ears. And when we're talking about seeing his glory, we're not saying Jesus' eyes, or oh, we saw Jesus' eyes, they are the bluest blue. You've we don't know that. And the Father doesn't have eyes because he is a spirit. And when we say we see Jesus, we're not saying the Father is Jewish because Jesus was Jewish. We're not even saying that the Father is male. God is not male. He's a spirit. And so when we say we've seen Jesus' glory, it's not his physical attributes. And so you sitting here today in Perth 2,000 years later, you don't have to see Jesus. Because if you saw Jesus, that's not what represents the Father. That's not what makes us understand the Father. It's something else. Something else. I do find it quite amazing. Nowhere on this planet, not in the Bible or any of the other ancient writings we have outside the Bible, are we ever given a description of Jesus physically. Why didn't the disciples tell us one thing? You know, he was quite tall. They tell us nothing, nothing. And yet it says here, we've seen his glory. So it makes us think, what is it about Jesus that you saw that tells us exactly what the Father is like? And, it, and this verse tells us. We have seen his legs no, his arms. No, his glory. 
And that's the glory we can see today. And that's the only thing we need to say. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And it is an exact representation. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, later on in John's Gospel, Philip, Philip's like you and me, you know. I've been a Christian forever and I'm running out of steam here. And so Philip says to Jesus, you know, Philip's been following Jesus for three years. He's like, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. You know, why do I have to just keep trusting? Can't you just see something? Show me the Father and it's enough for us. By the way, and Dwayne, stop because you're going off the point, but I can't resist. Uh, if you saw the Father, it would be enough for you. You will never want to see anything else ever again. And that's what heaven will be. Seeing the Father and we'll be happy. But that's another thing. So Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And you still don't know me, Philip? Now look at these words. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you know what a radical statement that is? Jesus is saying, I am an exact, full, perfect revelation of the Father that you have never seen. So what is it specifically that we see? And the answer is, when we look at Jesus, we see his glory. Yes, Dwayne, what is that glory? Is it glowing? Did Jesus glow in the dark? No. What is the glory? Well, it tells us. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is what we're going to look at. Because if we see grace and truth in Jesus, and we can see it, I'm going to show it to you today, then we will know what the Father is really like. And we will see his glory. I'm just going to um, show you one more thing uh, before we do that. I do, what, by the way, is glory? I'm scared I haven't defined that. What is glory? What is glory? What is glory? Glory is not shininess. Glory is the weight of something, the substance or the value of something. The, uh, glory is what makes that thing awesome, whatever that thing is. So what's the glory of the sun? What's the glory of the sun? It's warmth and light. That's the glory of the sun. What's the glory of a flower? It's colors and it's shape. What's the glory of chocolate? It's, it's got a sweet taste that it's just, look, you know, every lady's going, yeah, okay, you can move on. I've got that one. What, what's the glory of the ocean? What's the glory of the ocean? The glory of the ocean is its expanse, the vastness, the depths, the moving waves. What is the glory of God that Jesus shows us? And the answer is this. Grace and truth. That's the weight, the value, the glory of God. And we are going to see it today. Some of us here this morning have seen it before. 
Some of you sitting here have seen it before. You already knew what we were going to talk about. But if it's really glorious, you won't mind at all. You won't mind. If you love chocolate, and you eat a chocolate and go, oh, divine, that's glorious. Don't tell me that afterwards, I've, I've tried chocolate, I'm never going to eat another one again. No, you'll want to eat it again because you enjoy the glory. And it's the same with preaching the gospel. When we see the glory of God, we're happy to hear it all again because it's glorious. And of course, some people don't see it. Not everyone sees it. Not everyone gets it. I said to you, what's the glory of the ocean? If you were here this morning and you're a landlubber, or, or you're Irish, like my wife, or you're, you're um, Hebrew, you missed that whole illustration. You don't think the ocean's glorious. You think it's a disaster because you can't swim. And because it's scary. The Hebrew people in the Old Testament thought the ocean is just wicked chaos. They thought demons lived in the ocean, as do the Zulu people. They also think demons live in the ocean. In other words... Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. The ocean is glorious. You don't think so because you can't swim, and that's okay. It's the same with Jesus. You look at Jesus and you think, well, I don't get why are these people here this morning? I don't see the point. Yes, the problem's not Jesus. The problem is you. You can't see properly. And it's only the Holy Spirit that can make us see his glory. Only he can see, open us. Here's why. Because you don't see glory with your eyes. You see glory with your heart. If I put a piece of chocolate over here, all of you, bar nobody, will see it. But some people will see, or the girls will see glory, and the guys will think that's just a bribery to get what you really want. You'll see, you, it's the same thing, but you see it differently. And it's the same with Jesus. The Holy Spirit has to change our hearts. Glory is seen by the eyes of the heart. Naomi and I once lived in an old age home. <laughs> no, I don't mean it like that. Naomi was a social worker. And so we had a little, anyway, a long time ago. There was a couple married for 72 years. And I will not forget one day when he said to me, and I was talking, I find it fascinating, he was in his late 90s, and, and, and he was talking about his wife, and he said to me, she is so beautiful. And she had more wrinkles than corduroy jeans. <laughs> I, I don't know what he saw in her, but that's exactly the point, because beauty is seen by the heart. We won't see the glory of Jesus unless God opens our heart. One last word before we get into these two words. Notice the word only. The only place you can see the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. His glory is on display in the only Son. There's nowhere else to see the glory of God other than in Jesus. All right, let's go. We're going to look at grace and truth. First of all, we're going to look at grace and then truth. Grace and truth. 
What are these things? This is the glory of God. I'm about to show you so that you can see it. The glory of God. Grace and truth. Now those words, grace and truth, are a formula. They are a, formula is a terrible way of putting it. They always go together, grace and truth. It's a common phrase that occurs throughout the Bible. If God had a crown on his head, there would be a medal for being the strongest. There would be a medal for being the cleverest. There would be a medal for... But grace and truth will be the highest gemstones. That's just a picture. They are the brightest jewels in God's crown. They're very special. And that phrase, grace and truth, come together throughout the Bible. And the Old Testament is a history of God showing grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. But the fullest display of grace and truth is in Jesus. So firstly, grace. Have a look with me at Exodus 33 from verse 12. And we'll go quite quickly through all of this. First grace, then truth. Exodus 33 verse 12. So Moses says to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found, I know it says favor, and that's legit. You can say favor. But the word is also grace. It's the same word in Hebrew. But you have not let me know whom you will send me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found grace in my sight. What's Moses pleading with God for? Moses is saying to God, please come with us. Remember last week? Please will you come with us. Bring up this people means, please will you save this people. Remember the context. They've come out of Egypt and they're now in the wilderness. And Moses is saying, will you go with me? Moses says to God, you know me by my name. And I have found grace in your sight. Moses is saying, I belong to you, God. Don't let me go it alone. I am yours. So please, come with me. Come with me. So look what God says. Verse 13. Now therefore, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your ways that I may know you in order to find grace in your sight. Look what Moses does. He smuggles in the people. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Moses is saying, God, please come with me. Please save me. Carry me to that special place you've promised where I can be with you. You know me. I belong to you. Oh, and, and these people also. Moses smuggles in the people of God because you will remember that the people of God have turned their backs on God. So look at what God says in verse 14. God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. God says, okay, I will be with you and I will give you rest. You know that restless in our souls? God says, I will give you what you're after. But look at Moses, verse 15. And Moses says to him, but if your presence will not go with me, 
Do not bring us up from here. Moses is saying, I know you're going to go with me, but what about the others? Come with us all. Take all of us. Verse 16. For how shall it be known that I have found grace in your sight? And here he does it again. I and your people. Is it not in your going with us so that we are different, distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. Here's the bottom line. Moses is saying, God, go with us. Save us. Journey with us. Take us to that place of rest. And how's God going to do that? How will God do that? The only way he can do it is if he shows grace. See how Moses asks for grace. What is grace? Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Remember the context, and I've got it up here for you. Chapter 33 reminds us, and remember last week my drawing of that, that spectacular drawing of that golden calf. But look what happens. God says to Moses, go up to a land, this is Exodus 33 verse 3, flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you. I'm not coming with you, says God. Lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. God says, I'm not coming with you. Because if you make me come down there, I'm going to kill you. You are rebellious. You're stubborn. So I can't be with you. Remember last week, I showed you that love can't live with unlove. And God is love. And God says, I can't live with you because you are not loving. And you are rebellious. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. The ornaments, I take it, were talismans and of other gods, like the god, the ball that they had made, the cow, and things like that. But notice the word disastrous. When we die, every one of us will stand before God. And if God should say to you, I don't want to be near you, that's a disastrous word. That's the worst thing you'll ever hear. Get out of my sight. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I'd consume you. Take off your ornaments. Those are the images to the false gods, and I will decide what I'm going to do with you. That's the context in which Moses says, please come with us. Please come with us. How's God going to come with them? Well, the answer, God is only going to come with them if he shows grace. If he shows incredible grace. This is why only sinners love God. Jesus taught this. This is why this church is only for people who've done wrong. If you're sitting here and you haven't done wrong, this is not the place for you. You must go find a religion. Because Christianity, biblical Christianity, is for those who haven't done right. And we need grace from God. The self-righteous person doesn't need grace. The self-righteous person doesn't need God's company. So look what happens in verse 17. Look what happens. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. 
For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name, which means you belong to me. Moses said, and here we come, please show me your glory. What do you think Moses was asking for? What was Moses asking for? God, please will you do a handstand? There ain't nobody who can do a handstand like you. Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean, show me your glory? What do you want? Do, do, pull a rabbit out of a hat. Lots of people today want signs. Lots of people. Why doesn't God just do a miracle? Well, you should just go to a magic show if you want tricks, you know. But look instead. Show me your glory. And God says, yes. Look at verse 19. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. What is the weight of God? What is the glory of God? It is his grace. God says, I'll show you my glory. It is my kindness, my goodness. You know what I do? Here's what I do. I give myself to people who don't deserve me. That's what God is famous for. In religion, you will find gods who give you what you deserve. So you work hard and you be good and you will get what you deserve. In biblical Christianity, God gives you what you don't deserve. That's grace. Oh, and what does he give me, a Mercedes? No, he gives you something better. He gives you himself. So let me say what grace is. Grace is when God gives us himself without consuming us. Let me say it again. What is grace? Grace is when God gives himself to us when we don't deserve it. God's grace is seen in God protecting us, not from the devil, because he's of no consequence, protecting us from himself. Look closely with me at verse 20. God says, but you cannot see my face. Man shall not see me and live. Why? Because God in all his glory is just too much. Okay, you don't believe this. Go stand outside in the car park and stare at the sun. See how it goes for you. You and I can't even look at a fiery ball that's millions of kilometers away. How do you think we're going to stare at God? Obviously. It's too glorious for us to handle. So look what God does. Verse 21. Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I, not someone else, I, not you, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. Okay, everyone. What is grace? 
Grace is when God protects us from himself. We deserve to be consumed by God because we are so unloving and he is love. But instead of consuming us, he, not us, he protects us from us, from himself. God shields us from his own judgment. That's grace. And more than that, he gives us himself to us. And he puts us in that rock and keeps us safe. It's a rock that's cleft. Not a whole rock. It's a broken rock. It's a rock that's been split. And so Moses saw the back of God. That's all. Do you know what? We don't see the back of God today. What do we see? According to the book of Corinthians, we see God face to face. What? Because the word became flesh, dwelt amongst us, and we've seen his glory. The fact of the matter is that grace where God protected Moses from himself and God sheltered Moses and let Moses get a glimpse, that is pointing to the day when the Son from the Father will come to earth and show us the Father in all his glory and what will happen to Jesus. Two things. One, Jesus hung on that cross. When Jesus died on that cross, he was consumed by God in our place. On that cross, our sin, which deserves to be consumed, was carried by Jesus. He was consumed in our place. That's why Jesus became a man, in order to die in our place. He saw God's glory, Jesus, I'm talking about, and carrying us, and he was consumed. And what did God do? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But that's not the only thing Jesus did. You will remember, the soldier went up and pierced his side, and as he cut Jesus' side, water and blood flowed, because Jesus was split just like that rock. Jesus is the rock in which we hide to be kept safe from God's righteous anger. Jesus Christ is that rock. He not only took our sin upon himself, he also is the safe place where we can hide. And all of this was God's grace because it wasn't our idea. Did anyone here decide to send Jesus to be too late? It happened 2,000 years ago. It wasn't our decision. It's God who did it. God's grace is seen in Jesus Christ fully as he dies on that cross for us. No wonder Christians have always sung amazing... What about Rock of Ages? You know, Christians have always sung Rock of Ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. That's what they're singing about. We've seen his glory. Today in Perth, when you look back 
and you see again how Jesus died for you, you are seeing the glory of God's grace on display. What's the result of grace? Look at verse 16. Here's what happens when you receive grace. Verse 16, how will it be known that I... How do I know, Dwayne? Dwayne, how do I know if I've received God's grace? Well, look at verse 16. How will I know that I've found grace uh, with, with you? Uh, sorry, how will I know that I've found grace in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct from every other people? You will know that you have seen God's glory of grace when he goes with you, when you receive the Holy Spirit. And secondly, when your life changes. You don't have to be perfect. But as you look back over your life and you see how you're changing, you realize I'm becoming distinct. I'm different from the people around me. There's something different about me because I've been graced. Well, that's grace. Secondly and finally, what about truth? Where is the glory of God's truth? What about truth? Well, there's a long history in the Bible of God being grace and truth. In, in Hebrew, it's chesed ve'emes. That, that's the phrase in Hebrew. Truth is not just he doesn't tell lies. God is famous because he never tells lies. That's true, but that's not what truth, truth means more than that. And it doesn't just mean that he tells the T-truth, like ultimate truth, that's true. But it's more than that. Here's what it is. Truth means he is true to his word. God is true to his word. Another word for saying it is faithful. God always does what he says he's going to do. That's what's so bad about Christianity today. So many people make promises that God never made. And so people lose heart. I, they said if I have faith, then you know, my leg will grow longer. And it didn't, so I'm not a Christian anymore. Yes, but you're trusting in things God never said he would do. But what he said he will do, he will do. That's what truth means. So look at Exodus 34. It's, it's on your phones. It's carrying on in the passage. Look what God does. And we'll go very quickly through this. What God does is he makes a covenant. Chapter 34, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Now you will remember, when God's people committed adultery and they built that calf, and they turned their backs on God, Moses came down and in a hissy fit, but I actually don't think it was a hissy fit. He took the, and he broke them. But Moses wasn't just losing his temper, which he probably was. He was also saying, the covenant is broken. Because you've cheated on God right here, right now. Right? Now look what God does in his grace. I don't know about you, but if I was God, I'd say, that's it. I'm going to find the Zulus. Ah, that's it. I'm, I'm even going to go to Australians. You know? <laughs> Anything is better than you guys. But no. God says, Moses, I'm going to do it again. That's grace. Verse 2. Be ready by the morning. 
Come up in the morning to Mount Sinai. Present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one must come up with you. Let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks, herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. He rose early in the morning. He went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud, stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding, and there are those two words, steadfast love, chesed, and faithfulness, emets, grace and truth. Keeping steadfast love for, I think that should be translated, thousandth generation, Forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What does God say? God says, I am a God filled with grace and truth. So much so that when I have to judge, it's not what I enjoy the most. So God says, I will show grace and mercy to the 10th generation. But I, I don't know if you saw it. I'm only going to punish people to the 3rd or 4th generation. Sorry, not the 10th, the 1,000th generation. Verse 8, And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go with us. For it is a stiff-necked people. Pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. I hope when you pray, that's how you pray. Oh God, please be gracious to me. I am stiff-necked and I never listen and I always sin, so please will you come with me anyway. By grace. That's true Christianity. Forgive my iniquity and sin. And so verse 10, God makes a covenant. And God said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. What is God saying? God is saying, yes, I take you to be my lawful wedded wife. That's what God is doing. He's saying, I'll make a covenant with you. I will go with you. I know you're rubbish, but I'm going to go with you because of my grace. And I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to do amazing things, and I'm going to forgive your sin, put up with you, because that's what grace is. Remember what a covenant is. It's an oath, a pledge of personal loyalty. It's not about stuff. When you make a covenant with someone, it's not about stuff. It's about personal giving, like a marriage. And so God gives himself to them. Now, to finish this morning, where's the truth? The truth is God was faithful to that covenant. You read the rest of the Old Testament, and oh my goodness, these people, couldn't he have married somebody else? 
But throughout the history of the Bible, God keeps being truth, faithful to his promises. But of course, a time comes, tragically, when the, the marriage is over. It's irretrievably broken down. And Isaiah and Jeremiah and these prophets, this is hundreds of years after this, hundreds of years after this, finally the time comes when the marriage is over. And then God says, that's it, I'm destroying earth and I'm going to make... No, he's still faithful to his covenant. And so look what he says, I'm going to make another one. Jeremiah 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Basically, I'm just going to change their hearts. You know what? These people, I'm just going to change their hearts. And that's what he does. I will put my law within them. I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God. And they shall be my people. How? What kind of God is this? I don't know about you. Maybe you're sitting there and you're used to this. I've been a Christian for quite a while now. I just never get used to that. How? What? How is God? Really? I will be their God. Really? Can you not find anybody better? And the answer, by the way, is no. But it's astonishing how full of grace and truth is. How does this tie up with Jesus? Well, the truth is when Jesus came to earth, in Jesus we see God's truthfulness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us every promise that God has ever made came true in Jesus. In Jesus, God kept the old covenant terms for us. The old covenant was obey me, and we didn't. So Jesus came and obeyed the law perfectly on our behalf. He fulfilled the terms of the old covenant. Not only that, in Jesus, all the punishment we deserve for breaking the covenant fell on Jesus. And not only that, Jesus ushered in a brand new covenant. You know when we have communion, this is my blood of the new covenant. Can't you see, when you look at Jesus, the grace and the truth of God fully on display. And I know what everyone's thinking. So what must I do? Nothing. There's nothing for you to do at all. Jesus has done it all. All God is after is gratitude. That we as his children, those of you who are, I don't believe we all are, but those of you who are his children, why don't you just live Christmas with gratitude. This Christmas, once again, just think what the God is so full of grace and truth. And be thankful. And for those of you who are not yet sure, look again at Jesus. 
think again about Jesus, his death, and that'll point you to the God who loves you. Well, I'm going to pray, and then I'm happy to take uh, any questions before we sing our closing song. Let's just have a moment's quiet. I'll pray, and, we, and I'll text in any questions you may have. Father God, if there was any doubt about what you are really like or whether you are worth it, we saw today that you are glorious. And your glory consists in many things. But above all else, that you are full of grace and truth. And we see that in your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth and fully displayed your glory and grace. Please don't let anyone here be blind and not able to see what Christians have always seen. There is nothing better than you. To be loved by you, nothing, nothing, compares to that. Amen. Isaac, are there...